Good morning. How you doing, 1025? You guys already ran us out of room at this service. Next week, uh, Jesus will not be at this service, so if you want to attend the first or the third, that'd be great. Um, he will be here this week, we hope, but I am so pumped. Thank you guys for coming out. If it's your first time here, welcome. Uh, we believe that no one's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so wherever you're at, we're just honored that you took time to be here. We're not just starting a third service this morning. We also are starting a new five-Sunday, four-week teaching series called Underground Jesus. We do this uh, series annually. It's not the same teachings. We'll be completely different studies. Uh, but we remind ourselves about who Jesus was, about what the early church should look like, and what we should look like today as followers of him. And so my hope is that through this morning, you feel inspired and and that you love Jesus with all of your heart. Simply that. But here's the cool part. So with this teaching series, first of all, you should have got a card in your program that looks like this. Go ahead and pull that out for a second and look at the side that says weekly study of Mark. So we're going to be going through the gospel of Mark on five Sundays, four weeks. There are 16 chapters in the gospel of Mark. It is the shortest of the four gospels. Gospel means good news. We'll talk about that this morning. It tells about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we're going to invite you if, to partner with us these five Sundays, four weeks, and read the uh, entire Gospel of Mark during our time each uh, day as you spend time praying and reflecting and reading these passages. We give you the weekends off, by the way. That's how we roll. You can still take the weekend off this time um, and read those chapters as you go along. For some of you who are like, that is a weak, wimpy Bible study. I uh, came to 1025, not 1150 this morning. I get up early. I am spiritual special forces. Uh, flip it over. There is the challenge study. You can read all four gospels in four weeks together one gospel a week and as you read it you can mark it off and be praying we invite you i'm going to try the challenge study um i'm more of a like get from god in a chapter or two than like this kind of read four to five chapters so we'll see how this goes if you're with me and you want to the challenge study we invite you to do that isn't that cool the other thing with this teaching series the one thing uh, we have done a couple of times but we very rarely do is print t-shirts that have that say mercy road church on them and part of the reason for that is, there's nothing wrong with it, but part of the reason for that is our goal, my goal as a, one of the pastors here, is not to get you to love Mercy Road Church more. It's not the goal. Our goal is to get you to love Jesus more and to, to expand the kingdom of God together. When we get to heaven, we always say there ain't going to be like the Mercy Road section of heaven. If there, you know, if there was, it'd be the party section for sure, but... It doesn't exist, so we're all going to be there together, all Christians united, worshiping our, our Savior together. And so we want to make Jesus famous, and that is our goal, not just to build a personal brand or church little empire here. We want to actually point people to the kingdom of God, its expansion, and to Jesus. And so we print these t-shirts to remind ourselves of that, and when you see it, we're partnering with Christians all over the world. In fact, uh, today, we're making these cheaper this year. Uh, you can get the black one for $10 right there. We may run out this morning. Uh, this one and the gray one, the t-shirts are $10. And then Eric Maitland, he's our model this morning. Welcome him as he comes up. Oh, yeah. Can you get... <laughs> right. You're so awkward. But, so 
he, he's wearing the baseball t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, to give him the full, all right, that's enough. You can keep turning around. Eric Maitland, everybody, those are the t-shirt, baseball tees. Those are $15 if you're fancy like Eric. Um, by the way, this is offshoot. If some of you wonder, like, what does Eric do with his time all week long? Uh, he actually, this week, is, doesn't Megan Mellinger do a fantastic job with our creative arts and our graphic design and all of that kind of stuff? Well, Eric was trying to replace her this week. He actually came up with his own graphic. This is real quick for the teaching series. So, <laughs> who's glad that Eric doesn't do graphic design at the church? Who wants Eric to do graphic design at the church? <laughs> Just in case you're one, you have to see Eric for this. He has his own T-shirts as well, so see him right afterwards if that's your thing. We're gonna have some fun this morning. All right, here we go. Uh, put your hands together. Welcome those who are joining us live online through the power of the internet at mercyroad.tv and uh, through Facebook Live. Power on your Bibles, or if you're old school like me, turn to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at most of the fifth, first 15 verses. Now, each week, uh, we'll be going through uh, several chapters of the Gospel of Mark so we're obviously not going to go through all of the passages. So this Sunday, I've selected the first 15 verses in Mark chapter 1, and we're just going to study it together and ask God to speak to us through this. And part of my heart this morning is just to share with you that I love Jesus. And our goal as Christians is to learn to love him more. And I fail just like you. But I want to share with you this morning why I just love Jesus and I don't think of it as some ethereal thing of separation of God in the heavens somewhere and us here in the, but that we actually have a real tangible relationship with our Savior and our Lord and our God. And that's at the heart of what I'd like to share with you. You know, over the last, I don't know, 15 years of working in local church ministry, I've seen that for many Christians, we feel like the, the sky is falling, so to speak. That Christianity doesn't have the political clout it once had. It's not as responded to nicely in our culture today as it once was, or respected the way we would desire. And while those things may be true or not, I want to tell you that historically, Christianity has spread the most rapidly in times where it was not in power in the culture. In fact, during the first several hundred years of the early church, there's a great book by a sociologist, not a Christian, named Rodney Stark called The Rise of Christianity, where he said, how did this you know, group of hundreds of people turn into millions and now billions of people that claim faith in Jesus? And he pointed back to, in those first several hundred years, a couple of plagues that took place in the Roman Empire, where everybody's dying from the plague, particularly in the cities, because that's where all the people were and so people ran away from the cities. They fled Rome in fear of getting the plague and dying. And while that was occurring, the Christians who had fallen so in love with Jesus because of his love for them were inspired by him to love other people. And so they, instead of running away from the cities, ran into the city of Rome and other major areas. And they cared for the sick. And because of that, naturally, more of them survived the plague. And when they saw the love of Jesus in these people that turned to loving them, they learned to love Jesus as well. And they surrendered their life to him. 
And the church grew extremely rapidly during those first several hundred years where being a Christian could mean that you would literally be burnt at the stake in the second century AD simply for your faith. See, there is something that we're talking about this morning that is more important than a political election this fall. And look, I think that's, elections are important. I believe our faith can determine the, what we believe. It's not my goal to tell, talk to you about political things. My goal this morning is to talk about something much more important than that, about our King Jesus. Nothing in our government or society can ever take our relationship with him away. Nothing. It's impossible. It's why Paul can be in a prison cell in Philippi, or excuse me, in Roman Empire, and write a letter to the church in Philippi while he's ankle deep in raw sewage in prison and talk about the joy that he has to the, to the Philippian church. Because it doesn't matter your circumstances or your situation, that love of Jesus, that tangible relationship with him can never be taken away. And that's what I want to address this morning. When you think of Jesus and the church, what comes to mind? Do you think of like maybe a building? Maybe you think of heaven one day? While those things are great, I also want to tell you when you think of Jesus in the church today, by the end of this five weeks together, I hope you think about his love for you and how in community together we are called to live out during the week to actually impact our society and our culture. And that the good things that have happened in Mercy Road Church over the last four and a half years have not beca- uh, happened because of our great planning. The really good times have occurred when God just showed up and we just loved Jesus well. And so that is at the heart of what we're going to teach this week. This week, it's underground Jesus. Next week, underground discipleship. The week after that, underground church, then underground movement, and then underground multiplication is going to be a lot of fun. And I want to give this statement to you. The church is best when it is a community on mission following a supernatural and divine Savior. We're going to read Mark chapter 1, the first eight verses, and then we're going to pray and ask God to speak to us through this about him and our relationship with him. You guys ready to study God's word this morning? Thank you, three, those three that attended this morning. Really glad that you're here. You guys ready? Here we go. Uh, verse 1. The, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Talking about Malachi three, that's what it's referring to. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him from Isaiah 40. And so John the Baptist, he was kind of the opening band for Jesus, appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins, They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt. This could be our attire. This, but should I start wearing this around his waist? And he ate locusts and wild honey, a hippie after God's own heart. Verse seven. And this was the message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We pray. God, we are not fit to even untie your sandals. And yet you love us and you pursue us. Whatever falseness we walked in with this morning, mistakes we have done, 
God, you still love us and you pursue us and you pursue us and you pursue us. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us right now. And Lord Jesus, we pray you would just speak to us. Take away my words and let yours be heard through scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Have you ever underestimated somebody before? Like really underestimated them? Yeah, okay, a few hands going up. Uh, my friend Chris Lambert, uh, he started Life Remodel up in Detroit. Uh, Detroit team, awesome job last week. I didn't get to tell you that, up helping renovate tons of city blocks up in Detroit. You all gave $7,500 to renovate uh, homes there as well. It was just an incredible, incredible week. Well, he started Life Remodel, but we went to seminary together. When I lived in Southern California, we would play uh, basketball together in the Pasadena City Basketball League. And I always remember the story of Chris. Uh, I had many times underestimated my opponents. One time in college, it's a true story. I was at DePaul University. Great, fantastic, amazing school. Just the best in the world. Thank you. I knew I'd get one clap if I said that. Uh, and I was playing, a, uh, this professor told me he wanted to play me one-on-one and pick up basketball. And I was like, all right. He was like 55 years old gray hair. I'm going to dominate this guy. I was 23 years old in the prime of my athletic ability. Went out there. The first time I touched the ball, I uh, drove right by him, scored a layup. Next time I missed a shot. He took the ball then and we were playing make it, take it. He made like literally 10 three-pointers in a row right in my eye. I was like, what in the world is going on? And then it turns out uh, he actually played uh, Division I basketball at Georgetown University and was second in the nation in field goal percentage. <laughs> Behind Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, in case you did. So I, I greatly underestimated his ability. That's Professor Steinbrickner. I think he's still there. I, my friend Chris, though, this was way worse than what I ever did. This is a true story. He, li- we, he decided he was going to play in the A League, in the city basketball leagues, and he had to guard this guy that was like maybe 6'8", played D1 basketball, and he had been hitting threes, so he got out on him while he drove by, and Chris tried to recover. He ended up under the basket, and the guy went up and tomahawk dunked on top of him. And if that wasn't embarrassing enough, the entire backboard shattered... And when Chris woke up, he was sitting on the ground, shards of glass all around him with the rim wrapped around (laughs) his neck. I think he had underestimated his opponent a little bit. Here's the thing this morning, for those of us who are Christians are searching out the things of God, I want to tell you, still today, I greatly underestimate the power of Jesus in our lives. We greatly underestimate what he could do in our individual lives. We underestimate our value and importance in the short time we have on this planet. And we underestimate how he can change the lives of people we know. See, this morning, this service is going to be fairly pretty much full. The other two most likely won't be full. And over the course of the next three months, I believe that God could change some of the relationships of our family and our friends as we begin to invite God to use us, to empower us, and we don't underestimate what is possible. Most of us drastically underestimate Jesus and what he can do in our lives. This building that we are worshiping God in, it was designed and laid out, and some of the construction even done and the finishing work done by volunteers. 
a three-year-old church purchased this, this property and renovated it all. And I just want to tell you, everything cool that has ever occurred was just because God began to use us and we stopped thinking it wasn't possible for him to change our lives and to use us to do great things. I believe that in the heart of our church is this natural bent towards believing that anything is possible when God is in the mix. Our long-term goal is not to make Mercy Road Church the greatest church ever to see the existence of the planet. That seems silly to my non-Christian friends if I even thought that. Our goal is to start as many churches as we can before we die, see as many new Christians surrender to Jesus, start new campuses one day simply because we want to see more people know Jesus. Our goal is to work with other churches and other Christians around to advance the work of the kingdom of God to make Jesus famous. We have to stop thinking about church as if it was running a business and think of it as a people who know an all-powerful God where anything is possible. I'm about to preach this morning, so if you're going to get your pencil or pen out and get ready to take some notes, that would be great. I'm going to move quickly. I got um, a bunch of points I want to make. Number one, we greatly underestimate Jesus because Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Son of God. In Mark chapter 1, those first few verses that we read, it said, in the beginning of the good news... The good news literally is where we get the word gospel from. I'll describe that in a second. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. The title that he's given here, the Messiah means anointed one. In this case, it was the one they had waited on and prophesied about for centuries. The Son of God then is what he is also referred to. That we don't just believe that Jesus was a good guy. I mean, like, what if Jesus' name was actually Frank and he was just really like a good dude? who God used to change people's lives. I think we would really miss out on the greater story of Jesus and what he has accomplished. The Gospels refer to him often with this title of the Son of God. In this case, in Mark chapter 1, his very first verse was, the good news he brought was not without authority. It was from the anointed one, the Messiah, who was literally the Son of God. We believe as Christians that God incarnate. Now, I want to ask the question, was and I'll move quick, was it important that Jesus was the Son of God? Was that significant? I believe so, yes. First of all, the Gospels attest to it repeatedly. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, verse 23, said the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He was literally with them. And the gospel of John refers to the divinity of Jesus again and again and again in the 21 chapters. In fact, the first chapter of the gospel of John begins in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. The word there, we mistakenly refer to the Bible sometimes. We do refer to the Bible as the word of God, but that passage is about Jesus. It's the Logos in that case. And he's speaking to a culture where they understood that. It's saying that there, there was not a time where Jesus was not. He was with God in the beginning. The early church father Origen came up with the phrase when the early creeds that we might remember that he was the eternally begotten son. There was not a time Jesus was not. His divinity for me is uh, significance. You ever hear the phrase, that doesn't make an iota of a difference? I haven't heard of it either, but I want to tell you where it comes from. It comes from this old early church debate. See, there was a guy named Arius who believed, well, what if Jesus wasn't divine? And the early church said, no, the early accounts refer to him as the son of God. They refer to his divinity multiple times. 
And so they debated this thing about homoousia. Is he the same substance of God or homoousia? You see, iota is the Greek uh, name for I. So you notice that one has an I and the other one doesn't have an I. That's where the iota of a difference is. Homoousia meant of the similar substance of God, but not God. And they determined for many reasons that not only did scriptures attest to him being God, the early followers of Jesus attest to him being God, but that actually it was significant that he was God. C.S. Lewis was famous for saying in the 20th century that Jesus said he was God, and that was significant because if he said he was God and he wasn't God, then he was either a liar or a lunatic, right? Like he was either crazy or he's just a big liar. But if the third option, if what he said was true, then he must be Lord. Also, that Jesus was without sin. You know, Romans 3.23 says that you and I all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no human being that has ever been without wrongdoing in their life. You're going to try and you're going to fail. And sometimes you're going to improve and the Holy Spirit's going to show up more in your life and you're going to get out of certain addictive habits. But there are still going to be moments where you realize you got other sins you didn't even know about yet. Jesus was without sin. How would that be possible if he wasn't of the same substance of God? And the third thing, and there are other reasons we don't have time to get into, but a human cannot justify them, him or herself before God. That's uh, Anselm, this ancient theologian. And he believed that, he wrote a book called Why Did God Become Man? He was the Bishop of Canterbury who explained why it's important that Jesus was the Son of God. Because God is fair and just, he can't just let his people off the hook. That would be cheap grace. He is fair and just. So redemption was needed for the human rebellion that had occurred since the beginning of time. But God is also fully compassionate and loving. So he couldn't just leave us alone. He didn't just allow us to continue in our ways. Instead, he sent his only son, God incarnate, Emmanuel, with us so that we could be redeemed and live and know God eternally is significant. You see, sometimes the good news that the gospel of Mark in verse one, it calls him the Messiah, the son of God, but it was coming to bring good news. The good news that we think of, I think we get it wrong sometime. You ever see somebody who's doing it wrong? I got to show you this real quick. I tried to find an excuse to put this in the message. You've been watching the Olympics. This is real quick. Okay. This is from the Australian soccer team um, of this woman. She was doing it wrong. I think it's funny. Let's watch it real quick. And concern now for the goalkeeper, Lydia Williams, the Houston Dash, <laughs> keeper of the NW. And concern now for the goalkeeper, Lydia Williams, the Houston Dash. <laughs> one more time, Joe, one more time, one more time. And concern now for the goalkeeper, Lydia Williams, <laughs> the Houston Dash, keeper of the NW. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny. There's something evil inside of me that... I just think that is the funniest thing ever. I'm not going to show the second one. I'll, I may post that online later, but I want to get to this. Sometimes we, we, we're getting it wrong. Like we, we, th- we forget the significance of what Jesus, the good news that he brought was. Yeah, yeah, you get to go to heaven when you die. But there's a, there's a lot more significance. I want to share this with you. See, the good news in Mark chapter 1 it is where we often refer to the good news as gospel. You've heard that term before? The four um, accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are referred to as the gospels. 
The word literally in the Greek in the New Testament is the word evangelion, where we get the word evangelism from. Ironically, we don't usually associate the word evangelism with good news, but that's what it comes from. The evangelion was a military term. And what it meant was in the Roman Empire, when they were out on the front lines doing battle, and if they had a great victory, they would send a messenger, a witness, who had seen the great victory that had occurred, and it would send them back to the people in Rome to tell them of the good news, the evangelion, that there was great victory on the front lines. You see, we don't serve a weak, apathetic, wimpy savior. We serve an all-powerful God incarnate. And the good news is, no matter how messed up your life is, no matter how many mistakes you have made, no matter how bad of a father or a mother you have been, no matter how bad of a, a husband or a wife that you have been, no matter how many lies that you have told, you don't serve a savior who is inadequately prepared to help you in your life. You serve a powerful savior who can redeem you, draw you near. That is good news and it means that, yes, you, if you know of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, if you surrender your life to him, yes, you can spend eternity with him in the place we refer to as heaven. But it also means that you can experience God in your life now, right now. But that begins for many of us with this idea that we see in John the Baptist. See, verse 2 and verse 3 in Mark chapter 1 give Old Testament prophecies about the one who's going to pave the way for Jesus' ministry. Fulfilling the role of Elijah in this case was John the Baptist. You see, he understood what submission to Jesus looked like, and we must understand today what submission to him looks like. Verse 4 said, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Get this, he gave up all the comforts he could have had and he lived in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, the Jewish people had practiced baptism before, but it was a, a physical purification rite. He now had tied spiritual significance to it. That it was about forgiveness of sins, not just cleansing your body. So that anybody could be forgiven and draw near to him. Verse 5, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. And then get this. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. You want to talk about understanding what it means to be submitted to God. There is nothing that dumbs down our pride more. And C.S. Lewis often said pride was the greatest temptation that many of us have. Nothing kills our pride more than confessing our sins. In fact, the whole concept, we're going to baptize a bunch of people this fall. I can't wait. It's going to be fun. We already got some lined up. The idea of being baptized is that you have submitted your life to Jesus. It's not that you are perfected and you have all the sin out of your life. It's a first step. It's definitely throughout scripture a first step. But it's saying my primary identity is found in him. I've submitted to him. I'm going to learn his ways. I'm so challenged and moved by John the Baptist because he, in order to serve and fulfill his purpose, his calling in life, lived out in the wilderness it says in verse 
6, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He just lived off of what was around him so that he could live at the Jordan River and baptize people. Ironically here too, because in that day a, a prophet was seen, although Jesus ate meat and, and drank wine, then it says honey and locusts, it was thought that he didn't eat meat or drink alcohol because for his particular calling, he needed this act of complete submission and, and even in some areas that I don't think are sinful. And so he goes and he says, God, I am all yours. He's the opening band for Jesus. He paves the way for all of his ministry. And how is he rewarded for it in his lifetime? He's thrown into prison. He has his head cut off by a pretentious woman and served on a silver platter at a party. Wow. I don't think you and I are going to face that kind of persecution in our life. There are Christians around the world who do. For most of us in our, our culture today, I feel like as a Christian, it's hard enough for us to just admit and not be embarrassed to stand up for our, our faith. And I don't mean that in an argumentative way or a demeaning way to people who aren't Christians. I mean that in just saying, I believe these things. We're afraid of what our family might think, of what our coworkers might think. And most of us kind of have this like apathetic, distant faith rather than a tangible relationship with Jesus who he's the son of God. There isn't this understanding of submission to him. Many of us have what I'm calling this morning a Pokemon Go faith. I know. And any, anybody in here that have played the app Pokemon Go yet? Anybody in here? Okay, for those who aren't here, like five people in here. For the rest of the liars in the room, I would like to talk to you for a second. Um, <laughs> there's this thing, it's, it's a child's game. I don't know if you know that, but um, for those that raise their hands, um, but there's this thing where we know adults want to talk about that they play this game. And yet last night about eight o'clock, it started getting dark. So you couldn't see people as clearly anymore. I stopped off at the flowing well right down the street here. We don't live far from there. And there were just adults everywhere secretly playing this game. Some of them were hiding in their cars and trying to act like they were checking their cell phone, right? Like some of you, you play this game and you're walking down the street and your neighbor's like, oh, hey, neighbor, what are you doing? And you're, you're like, you're playing the game. You're like, oh, I just uh, checking the spreadsheets here. Got to make sure that they're all accurate for work this week, right? I wasn't tapping frantically because I was doing battle with the Pokemon. I wouldn't do that. I'm an adult. I don't do those sorts of things. And I wonder for some of us as Christians that there's this like, I, I, yeah, I, I love you, Jesus, when I'm at church, because <laughs> that's popular to do. But when in the rest of my life, it's kind of like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not telling you to get a bullhorn today. I'm telling you that for a follower of Jesus, there is this act of understanding, submission to him first. That's really what confessing is about. That's really what uh, getting baptized is about, a first step of being submitted to him. You're my primary identity. I can confess to you this morning that as a grown man, I have played a child's game on my iPhone before. But even more importantly, I am learning to love Jesus every single day. And over the, since I was 19 years old and surrendered my life fully to Christ, for those of my friends who are atheists or agnostic, I love you and watching online, and I am not afraid or ashamed of saying that because it's the most important thing in my life, and I fail all the time. But my challenge this morning is that we would see it this very way. 
You see, in verse 7 of Mark 1, it says, And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He has come to change everything spiritually. He is going to reign in this life. The third and final thing I want to make here is that we must believe the good news of the insurmountable reign of God. You see, the next passages, like all of the Gospels, they talk about Jesus being baptized, the heavens being parted, and this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, the Father says, and the Holy Spirit ascends to him. It's a spiritual moment. John the Baptist gets to participate, all because of this act of submission. And everything is changing. And it's after this that in Mark 1, verse 14, it says, John was put into prison. He had done his role. Because of his submission, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the evangelion. He was sharing with them the great victory that was occurring. And here's what the great victory is. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the evangelion that an almighty God became one with his creation. And what I love about Christianity and about Jesus is God wasn't just an angry God distant with his magnifying glass focusing down on his little anthill below. He actually loved his creation enough. He became one with it to redeem it, to give a living sacrifice for it. And the kingdom of God here, literally a a better way of understanding this, is the reign of God, that God has come near to us. The significance of that is this. The gospel says not just that you will live eternally in heaven with God. Yes, that is true. It also says that the sickly grandmother, who was a widow all alone in the hospital, is not all alone. The tangible relationship of the reign of God through Jesus Christ, is right there with her. For the family of five that has lost their job and not sure how they're going to make it through the next three months, they're not alone. Their powerful, mighty Savior, Son of God, is with them. The scriptures teach. For the distraught addict who feels like they can't face another day, they have no support, you are not alone. The Savior of the universe is here with us and desires to partner with you and to support you as you long for things. For the wealthy businessman or woman, you no longer have to find your identity in that next sale. You do it and there's nothing wrong with money. But you do it because you know you're going to be okay no matter the outcome. You love Jesus and no one can take that away from you. No political agent, no boss, Nothing in this life can separate you from the love of God. It is very clear in Scripture through Jesus Christ, through the sexually promiscuous who moves from relationship to relationship, seeking intimacy and never finding what they truly desire. You can have an intimate relationship with the Almighty God that you can know you are not alone and that you are going to be able to face whatever it is you are facing in this life. You see, that, my friends, is good news. The Evangelion says, when I encounter Christ, I get to run back and I get to run into my own Roman plague and tell people about the good news even there because nothing can separate me from the love of God. It's why Paul can be in a prison cell ankle deep in raw sewage and he can write to the church in Philippi with joy because nothing, nothing can separate him from Jesus. 
It is the most powerful thing in my life. Man, read Luke 15 on your own time. Luke 15, that passage three times, it talks about the, the parable of the, the lost coin. It says he'll lose one coin. He's going to sweep the whole house until he finds that one coin. He's going to stop everything to find one life. He says that if there are 100 sheep and one runs away, he's going to leave the 99 for the one. For the one lost sheep in this room right now, the Savior of the world made very clear he's going to leave everybody. He desires, he's going to pursue you and he's going to pursue you and pursue you. It also says that the lost son who had given all of his inheritance had gone and blown in all kinds of unsavory things. If he returned home to his good father, that the father comes running out to him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe around him, gets the fattened calf ready to eat and holds a feast and just hugs him and wraps his arms around him. That is the God that we serve. That is the Jesus that we read about in the New Testament. No matter how far you've run, no matter how intense your sin is, God loved you enough. He gave his son as a ransom for many. In college, I did theater. You may not have known that. What I love about musicals, when there was so much emotion in the middle of the play, the actor couldn't help but to break in and, and, and sing about it. And there has just been this song on my heart this last week that I just want to declare to each person in this room and watching online that our Savior, he is powerful and he loves you and you are not alone no matter what you face. You see, there's this old hymn it goes like this. Jesus, lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the mire and clay. Put my feet up on the rock. Now I know that my Jesus, my closest friend, hold me in your arms until the very end. And Jesus, the lover of my soul, Jesus, I will never let you go. You've taken me from the mire and clay, put my feet up on the rock, and now I know. God, we come to you this morning, and I just confess to you that I need you. I love you. God, we desire to love you, to understand submission to you, to see you show up in our lives, in our family. Some of us in the room right now, we have gone through brokenheartedness in our dating life. We're experiencing tension in our marriage relationships. We feel like we're doing a poor job of raising our kids. We get angry every day we go into work, God, and there are just so many things that we are faced with on a daily basis. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be with us every day. You are the lover of our soul, and we worship you. And God, because of your love for us, may we live that out in community each and every day, not just on some Sunday during the week, God, but in our lives, that we would be unashamed of your evangelion. 
You are all powerful, son of the living God, and we surrender our church to you and our lives to you. And I just know right now there are some, maybe many, in the room right now who you've known about Jesus your whole life. You do not have a tangible relationship with him. He doesn't come to your mind during the week. You don't talk to him. And I'm not telling you whether you're going to heaven or not. I'm just saying that's the reality. And if you desire that, if you want that, I want to invite you to take steps of faith to live that out. And just pray this with me. It's a first step, and we're going to have many. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I surrender everything on my life to you. I submit it to you. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray you teach me to love you and learn to hear from you. But on this day, August 14th, 2016, I give you my life fully. Pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. <laughs>